Hi, all, and welcome back to another episode of There's Danger Here. I'm Leilani. And I'm Sam. And I am going to bring a case to you today from Austria. So I originally heard about this case when it made its headlines. At the time, I was in Hawaii in the military and at work. Often, I would look through kind of news articles near the end of the day if there was nothing else I was working on. Um, Like I said, it was just sort of something I did. I remember sitting at work and reading about this man that we're going to talk about and thinking how absolutely unbelievable it all sounded. So get ready. On April 19, 2008, Elizabeth's daughter, Kirsten, became critically ill and was taken to the hospital by Joseph. Joseph was Kirsten's grandfather. Joseph claimed Elizabeth likely dumped her on his doorstep, as she had done with three other of her children. With Elizabeth nowhere to be found and no medical records offering a history on Kirsten, police issued an appeal for her to come forward, playing it on local radio stations. While the police issued the appeal, back at the hospital, doctors had to place Kirsten into a medically induced coma as her lungs, kidney, and liver were all failing. By April 21st, Kirsten was not improving and national news got word of the unfolding events. Still, nothing, and so on April 24th, Kirsten's doctor, Dr. Reeder, agreed to do an interview on a special segment for the national news so that they could play it um, and get kind of a wider audience. Finally, on April 26th, Elizabeth showed up at the hospital to be with her daughter. The hospital staff notified police when she arrived, and Dr. Reeder allowed her to see Kirsten, noting how fragile Elizabeth also looked. Before, before allowing police to detain her. They immediately questioned her, but it wasn't until they had promised that she would never have to see her father again that the truth was revealed. Within hours, her story began to unfold. Well, so, there's already a lot to unpack there. Like, the fact that this eight-year-old, right? It's an eight-year-old? No, she's an, um... Uh, like since like 18 i think the kid in jail or i mean in jail i'm sorry in the hospital hospital no kirsten is her firstborn um and so she's an adult at this point oh okay so it's shocking to me that they're like broadcasting that like broadcasting this throughout the country yeah well they didn't have any information on her and she's gravely ill and they're like, we don't even have a medical history. We don't actually know when she was born. We don't know how old she is. We don't know if she has any chronic conditions. Like, where is her mom? It just seems like that maybe it's just because America is so large. But <laughs> how many like John Doe's and John Dane like, like yeah. come into the emergency room and you just treat them like, but you don't go necessarily out to the world and broadcast like we need your help we need to figure out who this is that's the u.s we're terrible at things i guess we are don't don't include us with them i guess i guess so. <laughs> we're the worst man i just is a, it's pretty astonishing that there was like a whole broadcast and the doctor was involved and yeah yeah all right so um in order to kind of go through the story we're going to start with joseph fritzel And he was born on April 9th, 1935, to Maria Fritzel. His father was a poor man named Joseph as well, to whom Maria never actually married. Maria was herself born an illegitimate child to a man who treated her poorly. 
As such, she ran off when she was young and married a farmer. However, after a few years and no children, um, the farmer blamed her and decided to divorce her, which at the time is relatively unheard of. So it was a very kind of embarrassing situation for her to be in. The relationship to Joseph was one born out of spite and redemption. When Joseph Fritzl was born, she was elated to have found basically redemption in having a child. However, she bore no actual love to Joseph while he grew up. Yeah, she didn't coddle him and often left him in soiled clothes. She even told Joseph Sr. that their son was, quote, an alibi child. By three, Hitler was knocking on Austria's door, and the next year the towns were fully engulfed in World War II, being occupied by Germany, and Joseph Sr. was conscripted into service. Um, Amstetten had a large railway system, which is where uh, Joseph lived at the time, and the city supplied both Germany and Italy. As such, it became a target of Allied bombing. Seeing the likelihood of attack, the town hastily dug bunkers, and on November 9th, 1944, the bombs began to fall. What a tough, like... What a tough start. Yeah, you're not dealt a good set of cards here. You're Joseph Jr. No. Like, your yeah. mom doesn't seem to care about you. No. Like, you're an alibi child. Yeah. Which, I, what a weird thing to say in yeah. general. And now you've got bombs being dropped on you from both sides of this horrible war. Well, um, so just the Allied soldiers are dropping. Okay. So are like but, our side um and it's because they're trying to prevent uh, anything like, going to germany and, yeah yeah mm-hmm. um but still what a rough childhood to be in the midst any kid's gonna have a tough time in the midst of like a war oh, being in a war zone definitely. uh it must be much harder when you don't have a support system and yeah. your father was conscripted in a service and is shipped off like he's not even in the picture right now he's off in war like he's Right. One of the soldiers that's fighting. And who knows if he's alive or not. Already, you know? Yeah. Already. Mm-hmm. So while Joseph ran to the bunkers with the rest of the town, one woman stayed behind. Maria refused to leave her kitchen. And so for days, as the bombing raged on, young Joseph was in the bunkers without family. Upon his return home, he found that his house was intact and life carried on. But as the war continued, Maria's house along with others in the town, were required by the government to house refugees. And her apartment, was, or her house was kind of set up to be apartments to begin with. Like, she had tenants living there. But now the government's like, you have to take whoever we send you to live. That in itself is, like, so sketchy mm-hmm. to have a kid be involved in that. Like, you don't know who's coming into your home. You mm-hmm. don't know if you can trust them. And... It's not like she's protecting him, probably. No. Like, who are these? Who would, could be anyone. Yeah. And so over 40 people filled the house, sleeping in every corner and in the halls. Still, the government required her to take more people. And when she refused, Maria herself was carted off to um, Busen, if that's how you say it. Listen, I looked this up a long time ago, and I can't remember <laughs> how to say any of the names over there. Uh, but it was one of the Nazi extermination camps. Oh. So not a good not nope. a good sign. Don't need to pay it too much homage anyway then. What a gross. Yeah, what a terrible time in history. Gross time in history, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Joseph was sent to an orphanage for the remainder of the war, attempting to escape multiple times. 
So in order to prevent these escapes, local police simply told the now 10-year-old Joseph that his mother was dead. Like, that's how they dealt with it. They weren't just like, stop. They were like, nope, your mom's dead. You don't have anybody to run away to anyway. Oh. Mm -hmm. How horrible. Now he has no parents in his brain. Yeah. On May 5th, 1945, uh, Mathausen was liberated and Maria walked out. Three days later, she returned to her home and was reunited with Joseph, who again, for a period of time, thought she was dead. I really wish that this was like the end of the podcast and that was like the story. story. And we just know that like what a beautifully positive way to end it. Like she was liberated. She reunites with her son and the end. And I am sure that's not how this is going to go. It is not. After the travesties that she had been through, Maria was even more bitter and would often scream at the tenants in her home. During one of the arguments, Marie actually lost one of her eyes um, in a physical altercation. And after that, she would wear like these um, wrappings around her head to cover the eye. Um, And her anger only continued to grow after this. She was scary looking, I bet. That would just be frightening all in itself. Like to know the story of how it happened, I'm sure spread through the whole town. And they're like, don't mess with this woman. Oh, she is a scary woman. Mm Mm-hmm. Joseph felt the wrath of her ever-growing fury, where once she may have been, or where once he may have been slapped in punishment, now he was being punched and kicked. At times, he was forced to sleep outside, or even tied to his own bed. Oh my! Yes. Like, not. You would hope that like the war would bring them together, and it's the opposite. It's done. Like it's ripped them apart. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't, again, this is, um, an Austrian word, but I think it's, um, Scheidelkanian, a form of punishment that involved children kneeling on an angle of piece of wood was one of Maria's favorite types of discipline. She would use it often on Joseph. And while most kids were made to like be on this piece of wood for a few minutes, he would have to spend hours on this. Who even came up with that? Like, I don't know, but I guess it was like a wide... Like, a lot of people used it. It wasn't just her. She didn't make it up. Like, Austria used this. It was pretty well known. That's, like, Insanity. torture. Yeah. Um, she, again, used it often on him. And for years after the war, southern Austria remained occupied by Russian troops. Um, they raped, pillaged, and pillaged villages, keeping the residents poor and on rations, while the north started to be affor- afforded far more luxuries. Still, school began and Joseph was provided an education. He made a few friends, though none were allowed to ever enter his home, which, I mean, honestly, I don't, I wouldn't want to. I, I wouldn't ever invite anyone over. Yes, like, he didn't. I, yeah, he I, didn't. I just would, my life outside of school would be like a complete mystery to people. Yeah. yeah. By 1948, Joseph Sr. returned home after being a prisoner of war. When Maria saw him at the door, she slammed the door in his face. Like, she didn't even let him through. That's Uh, a great welcome home. Yeah. So he basically went and lived on the streets for a while. Uh, By the 1950s, um, he went from barely seeing his son at all to being out of their lives completely. And he did, sounds like he did find somebody who, you know, cared for him. And I think he ended up remarrying, which I'm sure Maria thought that that was, like, against her when really it's just because 
She's the one that pushed him out. Right. She didn't want him. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, young Joseph began to grow into a hardy teenager. His teacher during his school years pushed him to work hard and he found himself interested in building, even starting to repair his own home. By 15, he was beginning to outgrow his mother. And in that same year, he fought back, hitting his mother so hard she was like sent flying across the room, which I'm sure um, that would probably be a result of like all this built up, like her years of torture. Uh, And now it just like all exploded. Not a great look, but I'm just saying like, I can see how it reacted. I like think that as a as that woman Maria in her younger life when her kid was young and she was like losing it and Mm -hmm. torturing him you're not thinking of that moment when they get too big you don't think about like oh one day he's going to be a man yeah which is something you should probably think about (laughs) well I mean just don't beat your children right don't beat your children like that's the that's like the main line here but if you do it remains they're gonna, they're be, gonna be older one day yeah they're gonna be able to beat the crap out of you um so after that she cowered from him and he was left to feel the power of being bigger than someone that sure. same time he also began peeping in windows yeah the peeping turned into stalking and by 16 he saw a woman walking just kind of down the road and flashed his genitalia at her Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. At 16, he also finished school and enrolled in a two-year engineer course while supporting himself working as a metal worker. In 1951, he left his home and traveled to Linz, a city on the border of Czechoslovakia, which, before anybody comes at me, please remember the year. Right. It was Czechoslovakia. Not. It was not split into two countries at this time. He began working for a company called Bost. While working for the company, he was invited to a party by the Bears, um, which was some of the co-workers that he had. There was like a couple. And it was there that he met Rosemarie. Rosemarie was the Bears' second youngest daughter, and she was 16 at the time. She was the one who ended up asking Joseph for a dance. Like he didn't. He thought she was pretty, but wasn't uh, mature enough to ask for the dance or it wasn't in his own. He probably hadn't developed a great, like group of social skills no no he's not gonna be like a suave man who's gonna be able to woo the ladies yeah but it was after this dance they did end up beginning a courtship and uh um in may or on may 15th 1955 the couple watched as austria became a sovereign state then the two married in june of 1956 moving back to uh amstetten taking residence in one of the apartments Um, like i said in maria's building was kind of made to be apartments so they just took over one of them during the week joseph would actually go back to lynn's and stay with rosemary's parents and then come home on the weekends in order to help supplement income rosemary began working at a bakery maria actually liked rosemary um, which was pretty good because the two spent entire weeks together Um, but after the two married uh, maria would only speak with rosemary um, causing Joseph to have to kind of go to Rosemary to ask Maria things, and then Maria would respond to Rosemary, what not Joseph. A nightmare dynamic that would be as like the wife or daughter-in-law. Yeah, who wants to be the go-between? Oh, that's awful. 
Uh, on June 17, 1957, their first daughter, Ulrike, was born. And again, I apologize if I'm not saying these names correctly. It's an Austrian word. I don't. It's a unique name. Yeah. Um, Joseph continued to progress at work, and in 1958, he was working as an electrical engineer responsible for the design of cranes, lathes, and other construction equipment. Wow. He's a pretty successful man. Mm -hmm. Pretty smart. On May 11, 1960, another daughter, Maria, was born. As his family grew, so too did the company that Joseph worked for. And in 1962, he was sent to oversee a project in Vienna and then one in Luxembourg for eight months. The couple still continued to grow their family. And on September 7, 1963, their first son, Harold, was born. The company then sent Joseph to oversee a new project in um, their new plant that they had built in Ghana. And he spent a total of 18 months there. And while he was there, he didn't once speak to his family back in Austria. Horrible. Like, not a letter, not anything. Yeah. Like, you're knocking your wife up pretty frequently, it sounds like. And then you just leave her. Yeah. Like, oh, my partner would not, like, bear very well when he came home. No. He just, like, quit talking to me. Yeah. I, don't, be some I think I'd be the one slamming the door at this point. Yeah, there would you know? be, there'd be some big problems. During that time, he also engaged in several affairs. Oh, when yeah. he returned in 1965, the mood in the house had changed. Not surprise, crazy. surprise. Yeah. yeah. After essentially being abandoned for 18 months, Joseph expected the family to just welcome him back. He became violent and began implementing punishments such as the same one that his mother loved. Um, the Scheidel Canian um, that his mother had used. To make matters worse, Rosemary found herself pregnant yet again, and on April 8, 1966, Elizabeth was born. There's such, like, conflicting, like, he became violent and punishing, and Rosemary is now pregnant again. I mean, like, there's, yeah, they're still living, um, and she never leaves him, so I'm sure... Part of this wanting to be in control was deciding how the family is going to grow. Right. Was he violent before he went to Africa? It didn't say so in anything that I read. Um, Yeah, I don't. It didn't sound like it. Um, I think when he got back, he couldn't handle the fact that Rosemary seems like she kind of just put everything with the kids and was like, yeah, well, this was our life for 18 months while you decided not to speak with us. And I'm just going to carry on how I was. And she and he's like, no, you're going to like obey. Yeah. It makes you sort of wonder if there was something that like triggered him when he was away on his trip. Yeah. I think he was just a terrible human being. Yeah. He might just be an asshole. Yes. Well, he is. I can tell you that. Okay. Uh, Rosemary confided in her sister, Christine, that she believed him to be carrying on affairs while he continued to work at Lynn's. And in fact, Joseph was exposing himself to women and after being reported to police was warned against it. Still, just months later, he was speaking to police again, this time for attempted rape. Yet still, he was only warned against it. Yeah. In October 1967, Joseph stalked a nurse. Seeing that her husband worked night shift, um, he entered the house through an open window one evening and went to the kitchen and got a butcher knife, then undressed from the waist down. 
He woke the woman up with the knife to her throat and raped her. After he left, she called police and reported him. Joseph confessed and spent a measly 18 months in jail. 18 months for, like, putting, taking your pants off in someone's house. Yeah, for break, well, for breaking and entering, getting a knife, like, threatening this woman, uh, raping her. Right. And uh, she had a couple children at the house, too. And, like, thank goodness they didn't wake up, it says, but seriously it just doesn't seem like enough time no i take particular offense because she was a nurse like yeah it's like it makes me even more enraged for her yeah i know what she dealt with at work that day and i had to deal with that but my god this man should have gone away a lot longer than that for that yeah um, after this, he was fired from Boast and returned home to Rosemary, who seemingly ignored the whole incident as best she could. Joseph found um, quick work, however, at Zehetner Manufacturing Building um, Materials. It's recording. All right. Um, so I just have to say, Rosemary, for taking this man back after he went to jail for 18 months for this like sex crime yeah that's wild to me that is to me as well but i um it's a different time too i mean i mean okay it's a different time i understand your husband might beat you a little bit and stuff like that your husband raped a woman yeah at knife point or whatever you call that and like forced himself into her house with her kids home that would be yeah. The line is crossed. Yeah. We're not I'm going not saying it's the right thing to do that she kept him, but I'm saying like a lot of women and I mean even men stay in horrible situations because they don't think they can get out, because they think it's their responsibility. There's all sorts of stuff going on. Um so that's yeah. the that's the appropriate way to think about it. I'm yeah. sure that everyone has different circumstances in their life that I can't judge this woman for, but still once you listen to the story, you're gonna be like, damn it, you should have left. Yeah, it's. I already am having a hard time wrapping my head around that part. Yeah. So, like I said, um, Joseph found work with Zahetner. Um, The owner actually knew about Joseph's past, but looked past it because he was a good engineer and he was put in charge of designing machines that made concrete pipes. And you'll hear a lot about this, how they're like, well, he was good at what he did. So they kind of look past who he was as an actual person. That's still common these days. Yeah. It was at this time that he learned how to lay floors and pipes, how to seal and insulate against noise, cold and damp, how to lay brick and mortar as well as windows and ventilation systems. And all of this comes into play later. So just remember Hmm. this. On January 5th, 1971, Rosemary gave birth to twins, Joseph and Gabriel. Around this time, Joseph started a new job with Remus, a Danish Danish concrete company, as the head of their Austrian division. On December 28, 1972, their last child, Doris, was born. And in 1973, Joseph bought a summer house in Mondesi that could be rented out and um, as a bed and breakfast, putting Rosemary in charge of it. The children helped with the cooking and cleaning as well. This earned the family income on top on top of Joseph's job. So it sounds like he was doing pretty well off. And then they had this um, summer house that they could do breakfast on paper. It's like a really lovely life that they are creating for themselves. Yes. 
They stayed at their original apartment through the years, and it is reported that Joseph refused to update it until the tenants died or left. It wasn't until the late 1970s that this became a reality. On November 6, 1978, he applied and received permission to make major renovations in the house from the Amstetten Council. And so, like, up until this point, the whole house is just, like, squalor, basically. So he's letting his family live in squalor out of spite for the original tenants that he couldn't either increase their rent or he couldn't get them kicked out. Um, and at one point it says that, like, to go to the bathroom, there was, like, this bucket. Oh. It wasn't even, like throughout the whole house that place would be a nightmare like at one time in its history it had more than 40 people living inside of it mm-hmm. it would be just so run down mm-hmm. i have a two-year-old who i feel like runs down my entire house like i can't imagine 40 humans living yeah. in my home yeah so his application included an extension in the back of the house a roof terrace and a cellar At the same time, he retired and was able to spend years knocking down walls and changing the layout within the house. People would later say that it was claustrophobic and confusing. There were stairs in the middle of rooms due to level changes and winding corridors that could easily confuse people. So he's just building however he feels like. Like, this feels very Alice in Wonderland-y. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's like the House of Horrors. Yes. That's what my brain goes to. That as well. That is a good one. By the 1980s, Joseph became even more strange and violent. He was violent with Rosemary and lashed out more and more towards his children. He also became more suspicious and paranoid, taking the children's mail and watching them even when they were outside the house. This strain became too much, and as the children grew up, um, they left the family home as soon as they were able. As the elder children vacated the home, Elizabeth was left as the oldest remaining of the children. Compared to the others, she was meek, and Joseph began to notice these qualities in her. Elizabeth didn't attend school events and was reserved when she was at school, which means she didn't really have a whole lot of friends. Um, most of her friends that she had were ones that like she talked to when she walked like to and from school. She didn't really hang out with outside of school, and they were never allowed in her house. It would be so difficult to, again, like bring... He was having a hard time bringing his friends over Mm because his mom was crazy. And I would like, you're not going to bring friends to your house. That's like, first of all, wild. Mm -hmm. Like, And I should point out Maria still, she's still alive. She's still living in that house with them. Oh, no way. Yeah. She lives for a very long time. Yeah. Oh, which I mean, my goodness. It's just, it's a lot. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, so she, she wasn't great with grandkids either. Maybe she was, maybe she had a leaf had turned in her, but like, so from most of the reports that I've read, she basically just became, became like a recluse, even in like her own home where she spent a lot of time in her garden and then would just stay in her little apartment area. And that was about it. Like she didn't really do anything. Um, yeah, but like nobody could go out in her garden. She, that was her space. and. She was also very suspicious yeah. of people. Yeah. Um, so definitely maybe some mental health in this family. This sure sounds like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elizabeth did, however, befriend two twins, Krista and I think it's Jetta, um, walking to and from school, like I said before. They reported that while they had life aspirations, all Elizabeth said was that she wanted to be 18 as soon as possible and leave her house. 
which which is that's such a sad statement. Like everybody's thinking like, oh, I want to do this in life right. or I want to get married and have kids or I want to do this. And Elizabeth's like, yeah, I just want to turn 18 and leave. I just want to get out of here. That's all I want. And you're like, oh, that that's ominous. It is ominous. And but at the same time, I like. Without being able to understand it, because I had an incredible childhood, I can sort of understand it in the sense that it's like I, that's when my life actually will begin. Mm-hmm. Like right now, I'm just buying my time until my life can actually start yeah well she never admitted it to them but during some of the renovations of the house joseph had basically set her up with a mini separated apartment on the second floor and um for her and then began grooming her leaving her with porn under her pillows and then when she was around 14 he would touch her sexually and masturbate in front of her He began touching her at the summer house in Mondesi or even in the car, continuing to masturbate in front of her. Like, so he's just brazen with this. Oh, yeah. Fuck you, Joseph. Yeah. He would follow this up by telling her that the police wouldn't care or wouldn't believe her if she ever went to them. And he would sometimes threaten to kill her if she said anything. He stalked her and continued to go through her items, papers, and mail, making sure she wasn't saying anything about what was happening. Oh, this poor girl, man. Yeah. Um, In April 1981, Elizabeth graduated from the Polytechnic um, two months after turning 15. She then started in Waldeg, in which she trained um, every two months um, during the autumn for two years. And this was to basically, I think it sounded like to become a waitress. She had to go off and do this training and she got to stay over in Waldeg. Because uh, it was far enough away that, um, you know, the commute would have been too long. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I did um, form a friendship with some of her coworkers, including Bridget, and even started a romantic relationship with the sous chef, Andreas. Elizabeth confided in Bridget what was happening back home. And once she returned, that it regrettably started again. Together, she and Bridget began concocting a plan to get away. And so this is like the first person that she's She's ever like opened up. Open up about, which had to have been the craziest big deal. And if you remember, like this is she's like 15, 16 at this time. Right. Um, And instead of turning her away, Bridget was like, that is absolutely unacceptable. And it sounds like Bridget didn't have the best childhood herself. Not that she was maybe physically abused, but her father was an alcoholic. Um, yeah. And so the two together, like, you know, we got to leave. We got to get out of here. Man, that would have been, it would have been scary. Mm-hmm. Someone Telling somebody, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a huge confession. Yeah, it is. Um, all the while, Joseph continued to work on the cellar, which he constructed under the new extension um, that um, he turned into an apart- apartment complex. To get to it, you had to pass through an older area of the home through a locked door, which, of course, only Joseph had a key to, and down the stairs to it into the cellar it remained off limits to family at this time by the beginning of 1983 the cellar was deemed finished and he was given the the final inspection by planning inspectors on the council on january 28th elizabeth and bridget decided that it was time and they took off and left for vienna for four days at age 16 elizabeth was free of her father oh that feels so good (laughs) yeah (laughs) and on the fourth day um, Harold, the older brother, was sent um, by her father 
to go look for her and bring her home. However, he failed to find her when and he had to come back basically empty handed and tell his father that he he couldn't find her. So at that time, Joseph and Rosemary notified the police that their underage you know, daughter had run away from home. On the evening of February 18th, so um, from January 28th to February 18th, they were completely away from parents. Um, on this night, a party was being held in an apartment, uh, and the neighbors called in a complaint. When police arrived, they spotted Elizabeth and Bridget, and the pair were subsequently picked up and held, and Joseph's father was called, and he came and retrieved his daughter. Wow. Which... They could have gone away for so long if they weren't at this party. Or I know. the party wasn't loud. And you're like, dang. Why? Dang. Where were they? Like, they were close enough that, like, the police, when they came to this party, recognized them. Like. I think that they were. Um, it, I don't see, like, how far away the cities were um, from each other. But I, I would guess that because they're underage, they circulated kind of information yeah. about this. And so. They go to this apartment and they see these clearly underage girls and we're like, you don't belong here. Oh, man. That's like, mm-hmm. yet again, another party that like just ruins people's lives, man. Mm-hmm. Just so, like, just turn your music down, kids. Yeah. <laughs> On November 14th, 1983, Joseph requested to build an additional two rooms in that cellar that was previously uh, inspected and approved. It was approved by the council to go ahead and build those rooms, but never marked as complete. And it wasn't followed up on for five years until a member of the council finally called Joseph, who stated that he had simply abandoned the project. However, in reality, between 1983... (laughs) You don't have to throw things at me while I'm talking. Sorry about that. (laughs) In between 1983 and 1984, two additional chambers were constructed. I'm shocked. So this is not the crazy house, right? That he's building this cellar at? Or is it the... Did he? Make... That's his home. The one that he grew up in. Right. Not the summer home in Mondesi. So this is the one that was apartments that right, Maria that... had owned. Um, and so a lot of people at this time were making cellars or creating cellars. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with like what was going on at the time and oh everyone wants a bunker yeah. at this point i'm mm-hmm. sure yeah they had like the cold war and yeah. stuff so very common for them to request this it just seems like the city seeing his handiwork on his other projects like you know because you got to walk through it sounds like to get to the door to the cellar and mm-hmm. you're gonna see some of the things that he's done and like the city inspector to be like Oh, yeah, go ahead. Keep building. Like, yeah. So um, while he made all these crazy, like the winding corridors and the steps in the middle of the room, right. it sounds like what he built was structurally sound, which is probably all they really cared about is the fact that it was structurally sound. It had ventilation. There was electric run into it appropriately. And they're like, all right. Especially was- if it was a bunker or a cellar right. that doesn't necessarily need to be built the same way that the rest of the house should. I'm sure like as as well like residential is different but then commercial yeah, yeah definitely there's code violations happening there i'm sure of it yes so meanwhile elizabeth was making plans to move in with her older sister in Linz. she was happy that since she had run off to vienna her father had stopped touching her 
Instead, he was focused on the project in the cellar. Elizabeth continued working, saving her money for her planned departure after she turned 18. She was simply biding her time at this point. And on August 28, 1984, the day she disappeared, quote-unquote, disappeared, she recalls that her father asked her to help her with a door. Pear carried the door out to the garage near a second hidden entrance to the cellar, and before Elizabeth left, Joseph said that he wanted to talk to her privately in the cellar. Elizabeth thought that it was um, to talk about her leaving since she had broken the news to him two days prior, and they had argued about the fact that she was getting ready to move out. Instead, before she could leave, Joseph grabbed her and held her with an ether-soaked towel to her face until she passed out. And unlike the movies, when this happens in, like, seconds, this can take minutes. So she's fighting for minutes of her life um, before losing consciousness. It can also cause a plethora of issues when inhaled in large quantities, um, needing the large quantities needed for the person to pass out including bradycardia, acute kidney injury, nausea, vomiting, and headache. So she wakes up um, basically in a daze long after she was knocked out to find out she's locked in a dark cellar and is incredibly sick. She was lying on a bed with her hands tied behind her with a chained padlock. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Like, up until the bed and the chains, you could almost be like, oh, what? what the hell is my dad doing? Like, what, what's going on here? And you could be a little confused and just think he's sort of being an asshole. No, I think I'd be but, not okay with the ether. Uh, I would be quite confused <laughs> with that too. But he, I mean, you would, he's an asshole and you know that, and you know that maybe like he's going to use you for his own good. And then you just don't get to talk about it again, but you wake up with a bed and chains mm-hmm. and it's a, like just another level of difference mm-hmm. I feel like at that point and the bed is just a mattress on the like the concrete floor right um, not good yeah the chain that um was tying her hands up was ran to an iron post that was screwed into the concrete floor and before she could move joseph was standing next to her and he said quote a pitcher that goes to the well too often gets broken end quote which is a very frightening sentiment the hell does that mean so it it's like the um because he's saying the picture that goes like the most like to the well is like is the most likely to get broken because it's the one most often right and i think it's just him being like you fucked up too much and now you have to pay the consequences and her fucking up is just wanting to leave just not be around you yeah like oh my then he left her shutting the door to the room and locking it and for 24 hours, he left her alone. And I should say that um, at this time, there are no lights on. It's completely dark in this room. There's no windows. There's no nothing. And he chooses when he turns on the lights. So she doesn't have any control over anything. It would be pitch black, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, not even, like, dang. That, like, you lose your senses in mm-hmm. that type of lighting. Yeah. And so... um after not seeing her daughter for days, Rosemary was completely beside herself and went to the police filing a missing persons report. However, she had recently turned 18, so the police asked a couple, the couple if there's any reason to worry, at which point Joseph relayed a tale that her daughter had gotten into drugs and he believed that she ran off to a commune 
to join a cult. So that's the story that he spun. Oh, no. Joseph even went to the police weeks later, producing a handwritten letter from Elizabeth, postmarked from the city of Brandau, um, stating that she was tired of living with her family, that she was residing with friends, and to not look for her, she'd leave the country altogether. And Joseph reported that he believed Elizabeth, again, had joined the cult, and that's why she left them. Oh. Yeah. So he spun a whole tale, and then... thinking about this. Well, he's been building the cellar for years. He has been thinking about like, this for with years. The purpose of this? Oh, it's so it's so sick. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had to have already pre-built the cellar to put her in. I guess so. I like my my hope was that he was building the cellar, and then all of a sudden, once it was finished, she was like, "Oh, this would be fun." But no, he was building it. No, this is yeah, this is all pre-planned. And he had the forethought to be like, I need Elizabeth to write these letters to verify she's in a cult so nobody will come looking for her. Oh, yikes. And throughout the years, the family would receive numerous letters from Elizabeth and Joseph, um, continuing to state that she was in the cult. After 24 hours of being alone, um, Joseph returns and changes the chains from her wrist to her waist making it just long enough that she could reach the toilet, sink, and stove that he had plumbed in. So again, God, he had built this for her years before he took her down there. How how did no one, like, how did he do that? How is he building such an, like, elaborate layer? So again... This is at the time that everybody's creating bunkers, right? So as he's pulling out dirt, people are like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm making a bunker. And, you know, the neighbors are like, well, so are we. Like, we totally get it. He's got an apartment complex that he's been renovating. So you bring in appliances. They're probably for one of the apartments you're making. And he had applied to create that huge extension in the back of the house that he turned into apartment complexes. So it wouldn't be that strange that he's bringing in all of these pieces of equipment um and but instead of going into these apartments they're going into a cellar like it was very methodical that he did this very methodical it's very evil Mm -hmm. so uh after he removes the chains and puts them on her waist he then beat her kicking and punching her for nearly 40 minutes the next day he begins a series of time where he rapes her for two hours twice daily oh like clockwork There's, like, just nothing you can do. No. No. Elizabeth even reports that no matter what she did, either fighting, kicking, and scratching, or screaming, it didn't change. Even if she attempted to shut him out, he would still attack her. Months go by, and he brings in television. Mm -hmm. He brings in television and porn, making her watch it and then act out some of the scenes with props and vibrators. Oh, this poor girl. Yeah, and this is just the beginning. Like, this is a horrible string of events that doesn't stop (laughs) for a long time. Not the way the 10-year-old boy story ended in my mind. (laughs) No, no. In September, he forces her to write another letter to her parents, reporting that she is indeed in a cult and is happy. Joseph continues to torture and abuse her leaving her without food, clothing, or light if he decided that he was mad at her. 
For days at a time, he would do this. In the winter, the temperatures plummeted in the cellar, and Elizabeth reports having to use sheets to wrap up with and stay warm when he decided she wasn't allowed to wear clothes. In the spring of 1985, he removed the chain around her waist as he thought that it got in the way too much for him to enjoy himself. Like, it was not for her. He was like, oh, it's getting in the way of me raping you and being comfortable. I do it, so I'm going to take this off. But for security, he basically created a bank vault entrance to ensure that Elizabeth can escape. And he also started telling her that she would be electrocuted and gassed if she attempted to leave. Still for years, Elizabeth reports that she constantly was like thinking about ways to escape or outwit her father, that she would fight him and scratch up his face, only to be beaten to the point of sickness. A few times, she even thought that she was on the brink of death. And those were the only times that Joseph seemed genuinely concerned about her. But again, not enough to allow her to go to any healthcare facility. Instead, he'd bring her, like, aspirin or Tylenol. Uh, that's, like, trying to think, like, how I would... I, you can't you can't think you can't, too much, but, like, no. I like just trying to think, like, if I was in a situation like this, like, I'd, like, try to pretend to enjoy it and, like, scratch messages in his back or something. <laughs> Like, That's elaborate. It is elaborate. It wouldn't work. It would not work. You probably would be like, stop fucking scratching me. I mean. Beat me to death. Almost near death. Well, she scratched his face and he beat her, but I'm sorry. Rosemarie, um, knock, knock, hello. What's happening with your husband's face? Yeah. I mean, at this point, Rosemarie already has let this rapist back into her house, so she probably Probably he's not paying too much attention or wants to care. Like, yeah. And reports do say that he actually um, built like separate apartments basically for them and he'd show up for dinner and then they'd sleep in their own rooms. For years they would do this, but you still don't notice these giant scratches on your husband's face and maybe say, the fuck happened to you? Yeah, what's going on with you? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a hard story. Um, in August of 1986, she gets pregnant. So, 1986. We are two years in. It's going to last a long time. Don't We don't want to think about time. Does she have lights down there yet? So, she does, but she doesn't have access ever to turning them on and off herself. So, he can just flip them off when he wants to and flip them on when he wants to. Oh. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. sorry, keep going. So 10 weeks after this, she miscarries. And she reports that this winter that she felt the depths of the cold and started seeing rats in the cellar. Uh, it would send her into fits where she would throw herself into the door or the walls until she'd get so tired that she'd pass out. Until hopelessness enveloped her and she reports that's when she lost the ability to cry. Uh, hopelessness would have enveloped me uh, less than a month. Oh, yeah. Days and I'd have been in it. Less than a month. Yeah. yeah. It would have been three days of pure darkness. I would have been thinking of ways to kill myself at mm-hmm. that point. Like, how do I end this? Yeah. Then again, in January of 1988, she was pregnant again. God, that's... On August 30th, she gives birth alone <gasps> with scissors, blankets, and some diapers given to her. Months prior by Joseph, um, he also gave her a book on childbirth so she read the whole book i mean cover to cover she knew that she had to boil the water to clean the scissors and cut the umbilical cord 
um, she also says at this time that like she was super scared because she is reading this book and it's like if you cut one way, like you can too close on one side, you can kill the mother. Too close on the other, you can kill the baby. Um, she's like, I couldn't even dry the scissors off because all I had with these towels that I've had in here this whole time that have never been washed. Oh my! And so she knew that they were dirty. And she is like, I just boiled them and then set them down and waited and had to give birth by herself. And then for 10 days, the pair were alone in the darkness of the cellar. 10 days after you, like... Can we say that she gave birth in the dark? She gave birth in the dark alone. Like... Not having an understanding of what's happening. He just reads this book and is hopeful that... He doesn't mess it up and kill either her or the baby. I wish people could see my face right now because I'm like just like trying to work through this like equation in my brain. It doesn't mean you need to punch your mic to do I it. I know. I'm sorry. I'm worked up right now. This is working me up. Like I, what a strong, badass woman. Yes. To be able to get through all this. Like so different than the, to, like the women I know. No offense. My, I love my friends. Yeah. Like, we do Lamaze class and, you know, mm-hmm. think about our birth song and the smell of the air and, like, at all. Like, she had a pair of scissors that she had to boil in a pot and not even dry off. Like, yeah. And if you think about this, it's 1988 when she gives birth. Kirsten doesn't get let out until 2008. Oh. Fuck. Because she's the one that goes to the hospital. Wow. Okay. So. Okay. So at age 53, Joseph is a new father and a grandfather Gross. to Kirsten. She was followed by um, Stefan in February 1990, Lisa in August of 1992, Monica in February 1994, shit. Alexander and Michael, a set of twins in April of 1996, which can we talk about the fact that Giving birth to twins, even in a healthcare facility, is high risk and dangerous. And she just did it alone in a cellar. Well, with other kids, but they're, they're babies in the cellar. It is. And then Phoenix, or Felix, excuse me, in December of 2003. It is incredible to me that this woman has survived all of these births and alone. The only other adult in her life is her, like, captor rapist yeah father yeah Yeah. like it's just these kids are gonna be very strange humans as they grow up right like the well the poor mom yeah just i'm shocked she's even surviving yeah and the like because it's an incestuous relationship the potential for um genetic mutations and complications is super high oh i would have i like i would have when i got that book about how to give birth by myself like cut the umbilical cord or whatever i would have cut that cord so it would have killed me yeah a hundred percent i know but then now the kid is left whatever i don't know them yet like yeah like get me out of this yeah get me out of this situation oh my god yeah so after the initial four years of torture and imprisonment, Joseph allowed Elizabeth pen and paper. With this, she began to write about her life locked away in the cellar. 
15 notebooks along with various scraps of paper were found that chronicled her life, which is how we know a lot of this information um, when, you know, this all comes to light. By year five, Joseph began calling Elizabeth his wife. His true wife of 40 years was just upstairs, but their relationship was distant, though mostly cordial at this point. Again, like I told you before, he'd show up for dinner, but had his own room in bed at this point. I don't, I, I, I'm like, I, I really don't get it, though. Like, no. I don't get it. Your, your daughter is locked below you. He's a disgusting human being. I don't know if there's anything to get. I know, but I mean, like, with the wife, with Rose, Rose Marie, like, your, your daughter, like, the motherly instinct that should be maybe inside of you, just a tiny bit, like, something's off with Joseph, like, and, and you don't notice he's gone all the time, like. They do. Um, they thought that he was working. So even um, Rosemary's sister, Christine, talks about the situation later, and they said that he went downstairs every morning to the cellar to work, and they thought that he was working on plans that he would sell to companies, basically. So even though he's retired, he's building these plans for like equipment and things like that that he had done all of his career. And I think he did sell some because you have to make a lie believable, right? Yeah. I so I think every once in a while he does sell something. Yeah. Um, which made the lie even more believable. Um, and he, again, had never let the family down there. And so it just wasn't, didn't seem strange for them to not be allowed in the cellar where he was. And he was an eccentric man. And, you know, he had years of torturing his wife before they have relative peace. Honestly, I think. She probably was at ease. Yeah, she was probably relieved with the peace that was in the house. Yeah, like, thank God he found something that he's interested in doing. Yeah, yeah. He's wrapped up in the cellar. He's working. That's making him happy, right? Like, that's probably what she thought. So when Lisa was eight months old, she became distressed. Elizabeth worried that her family would be beaten or starved for her inability to console Lisa. After all, when Stephen was just two, Joseph hit him in the face, cutting open his lip for crying. Um, Even though the whole cellar was soundproof and he had verified it was soundproof, he still, you know, beat him for crying. After determining, determining Lisa was likely in distress, Joseph agreed to bundle her in a cardboard box, dropping her off at his own front door to be found. And then he made a big show about finding a child. Um, and he made um, Elizabeth write a note basically saying that he, she was unable to care for Lisa and asking for the parents to look, you know, look after her. And so when Joseph and Rosemarie get this seemingly abandoned grandchild, they take her to the hospital where she ended up having to have emergency heart surgery. Social services showed up and the grandparents then applied for foster care. Again, I'm going to say applied for foster care, not to adopt their child. Um, And when Elizabeth never resurfaced, the grandparents were given the guardianship and they received 400 euros a month to take care for her. Holy hell. Like, that's Joseph's child in the house that he's now making his first wife of 40 years take care of. And making money off of her. And he's making money off of her. And all the while, it's a child that is born out of rape of your own daughter. It's all very fucked up. Yeah. And then in December of 1994, Monica was left in a pram, again with a note asking for help. 
Monica was inconsolable, and it is believed that is why she was brought up to Rosemary. But when Rosemary um, kind of looked her over, she found a hair that was wound around one of her toes, becoming ingrown and painful. And once it was removed, Monica was an otherwise healthy and happy baby. And the hair was likely not visible to Elizabeth um, in the darkness of the cellar. Again, even with the lights on, they were pretty dim, it sounds like. Um, not super bright lights, so she probably still had visibility issues trying to see that, especially those long, I don't know if you ever had, like my, I feel like my oldest son, it happened to all the time, where one of my hairs would get stuck around his toes or in his finger, and I'm like, what is, yeah. oh my goodness. They like teach you to, to look, look for, it. for that mm-hmm. if, when you have a newborn and you can't figure out why they're not crying. Yeah. You're supposed to check their fingers and toes yeah. because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, they decided to foster Monica, getting another approximately 400 euros a month to do so. Wow. This guy's like got a business. Yeah. By the end of 1993, Joseph decided it was time to expand the living space of this ever-growing family he's creating in a cellar. There were two rooms that he actually did create uh, 30 years prior, but never used. He cut into them and created a better entrance for himself, also adding electricity, a shower, and plumbing to that side before connecting it to the current occupancy area of Elizabeth and the children. Um, and so a lot of the reports say that, like, they had this one tiny, the original living space was this one, like, tiny little space, like, looked like a hallway almost that the mattress was in. And Elizabeth said for months they could hear him working on the other side. They have no idea what's happening. And just one day he like breaks through the wall and like creates this like doorway and is like, here's the rest of your space. Look, I made it bigger. Uh And um, for a while, a couple of the children were too scared to even go over there because it was new and they had never seen anything like that their whole life. Their life is a box, Mm -hmm. like a box underground. And to un- like that would be a totally like a psychological like revelation that mm-hmm. there's things outside of that box that exist. Yeah, they don't know anything about it. Oh, that's so sad. Mm-hmm. Um. So again, I talked about the birth of the twins earlier, but we'll talk a little bit more about it. So in 1996, when she gave birth, she did have difficulties. Um, and hours after being born, Michael started wheezing and then his legs went rigid. Elizabeth pleaded with Joseph to take him upstairs, but he refused, leaving her in the cellar to deal with Michael alone. And then he didn't come down for days. And after days of Michael struggling, he died on May 1st. Joseph, um, basically left her down there an additional day for coming down, looking at the child and basically wrapping him up and throwing him in the family furnace, cremating him. What? And again, I have another question for Rosemary. How do you not smell that? Because that, the smell of human decay and burning flesh is both pungent and undeniable. It's undeniable. The family furnace? The family furnace. Again, she claims no knowledge. Why the hell did they not smell that? How do they not? How do they not smell that? How do they not smell that? And then also, what? Why that, Joseph? Like, light a fucking fire outside. Like, what a perverted. I mean, it's all very perverted, but 
that's such a strange technique. Or bury the child? Yeah. I don't like, know why. I don't know. I don't know. It's He's like a, a weird... It's all psychological, it feels like. It me. is. And horrible. Uh, it's all horrible, yeah. for sure. On August 3rd, 1997, Joseph brought up Alexander and made a show about having a third child to take care of. Like, he basically complained to friends about it and was like, oh my god. Elizabeth keeps dropping her children off for me she's to take so care of. She's irresponsible. Yeah, yeah, she's an irresponsible mother because she's in this cult. She doesn't want to do anything with her life. And all the while, he's doing this. He's doing this to her. Joseph and Rosemary once again fostered him for the third time, receiving 400 euros a month to take care of him. This is a racket. Yes. Like, this is horrible. I am, like, this. Mind blown. Genuinely does blow my mind. Yeah. Like, I cannot, I just can't even believe that this is real. It's yeah. so difficult for me to believe this story. And you've never heard of it? No. Yeah. Like, I, why wasn't this splashed everywhere? How is this not everywhere? Mm-hmm. As the children grew in the cellar, Joseph worried about being overtaken by them. So in, um, he started hatching basically plans. According to him, again, this is according to him. But he started making these plans to reintegrate what he called the upstairs and downstairs children in a, quote, normal way. In his own way, he did attempt to buy um, lots of property. And he began training the kids that were in the cellar to perform tasks such as cooking and cleaning, thinking that he might integrate them into that life and make them useful, even with the minimal education that they were given from Elizabeth. And it sounds like she did the best she could. Like, she taught them to read and write, and she did amazing for what resources she had. If they're breathing, she's doing way better than the best she could. Like, she's doing so, so, so good. She's phenomenal. Yes. Mm -hmm. According to Joseph, again, he planned to find on finding a way to reunite the families by late 2008. But then Kirsten got sick, and his plans unraveled according to him you should have saw my eye roll it's pretty heavy that was a it was a good one if i could describe it on a scale of one to ten it was like a solid nine yeah. for sure after elizabeth laid out this story joseph was arrested and elizabeth's two remaining sons were extracted from the cellar then the dna samples from all of the children were taken and the results sealed joseph's face fate so while she's laying out this whole story of her life at the police station. Joseph is sitting outside of that door the like, whole time, just waiting to pick her back up and take her back to the cellar because that's what he thought was going to happen. Because he basically was like, All right, you're going to tell the story. You were in the cult. You came to talk about your daughter and you're going to go back into the cellar with your boys. I can almost guarantee that he said if she didn't do what she was supposed to, he was going to kill those boys because otherwise, why would he be left them down there? Like, how does she, did we go over how she gets out? Like, how did she get out? So he, because there was like that national news coverage and people are, they're not letting up about this. And they're not letting up about the fact that Kirsten is in the hospital and they really need the mother to come forward. Right. Um, And I think because it's getting more and more attention, he gets worried that investigators are going to come to his house and look for them. Right. And he's a paranoid man. So he is finally like, because. When um, Elizabeth says that when they the day that Kirsten goes to the hospital, she actually comes out of the cellar 
to help bring Elizabeth or to bring Kirsten, excuse me, to the car for Joseph to take to the hospital. Is that the first time she's been outside? That is the first time ever. And she willingly, I mean, sort of willingly, walks back down into the cellar, which I think she did because he was like, I'm not going to take her to the hospital. We're not going to do anything unless you get back in that cellar. And she's still got two sons down there. That's a rock and a hard place. So rather than just take off, she goes back into the cellar for another six days or so before he finally agrees to let her out to go see Kirsten and to appease the media and appease the police. And I'm sure the whole way he's like, don't fucking say a word. Like, they're not going to believe you. You're just going to do this. We still have the two boys locked up. If you say anything, I'll kill them. Because he, the whole time that they're down there, the kids are taught if they go to that door and try to get out, they're going to gas them. He's like, I'll gas you all and you'll die or you'll get electrocuted. So this whole time, all the psychological stuff going on. Right. Like, I can't even imagine the duress that she was probably under when she's spinning the story. She's probably like, you have to get my sons out. They're still down there. That, it like, would take so much like mental gymnastics to just like really figure out what the best course of action is and to have the courage to do it yeah i like she could have just said yeah i was in a cult and then went back into the cellar with her sons to be there because they're still there i mean that just goes to show like how much like Joseph thought, like how, how he, much control he had. He, he thought, thought he had so much control and he thought so highly of himself that he had like created this woman out of his daughter. Like mm-hmm. I've, I've made like, well, I've done it. Yeah. And I mean, he's definitely obviously mentally fucked up, but he's calling her his wife. So does he believe this at this point? Like he's really like, oh, this is my wife. She's not going to say anything, you know? Right. But yeah. thank goodness she's like, no. Tell me I don't have to see that man again and I will tell you everything that happened. I'm so amazed that she even had that like in her. Like she held mm-hmm. on to that her whole that whole time that she was there. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like a lot of people like as a defense mechanism, you would just sort of take it on. Yeah. You would just be like, okay, I am no longer that girl that I was before the day I got ether shoved in my face. Mm-hmm. This person doesn't exist. I'm now I'm here. Do this. Yeah. Like. Mm-hmm. And so forensics went into the cellar, finding a small hole measuring 83 centimeters high, forcing the team to crawl into the en- entrance of Elizabeth's living area. It was tucked behind a shelving unit. There they found a plethora of evidence, including rahipnol, the date rape drug, next to a washing machine, a cardboard box with whips, chains, and handcuffs. In later interviews, Christine confirmed again, like I talked about earlier, Joseph went down to the basement every day at 9 a.m. for years and sometimes wouldn't come up the entire year uh, day. In an interview after his arrest, Joseph claimed that after kidnapping, things just spiraled out of control and he saw no way out. Furthermore, he stated to an Austrian to the Austrian media, quote, I grew up in Nazi times and that meant respect for authority and the need to control. I suppose I took on some of those, these old values, end I quote. I suppose. I suppose. That is horrible. It is horrible. On April 28th, people in the town of Amstetten held a vigil for those that were locked in the cellar. In March 16th, 9, uh, 2009, the trial against Joseph finally started. Judge Humer started the day off by telling the packed court that, quote, 
we are not prosecuting the whole town or a whole country, end quote, and that Joseph had acted alone. Um, it does say that outside it was like a circus, not just with media, but they had like what like a bar tent thing set up and they were serving like beer named after it, cookies named after him, like just all sorts of any way to get money was a way to get money. That's pretty fucked up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that like America definitely, you know, we're the capitalist society. We like to make our money, but <laughs> when it comes to like devastation of like families and people involved, I feel like with an exception of the media making it a bit of a circus, there's not, and you don't see like bars get set up outside of yeah court yeah. cases. Although, yet again, here I am the girl that like watched the entire like Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. You know, like I, oh, that was rad. I like, can tell you, I have not seen yeah. a minute of it. Um, prosecutor um, Christian Barkheiser set her case against Joseph while she relayed a. Cr- chronological series of events joseph was notably unmoved starting out um staring out in front of him it says at points that he had like this folder that he would just kind of put in front of his face so you couldn't even see it most of the time if he did actually have a reaction but he didn't seem to the defense started by passing out death threats that he had received due to the case before actually talking about joseph so he's like Listen, I'm just trying to represent him and look what they're doing. They're threatening to, like, people are threatening to kill me. Like, what is, what does that have to do with anything, dude? That doesn't give me any pity for him. That just clearly shows he's such a terrible person that people People. don't think he should be represented. That would do the opposite for me. I'd be like, cool, you're telling me he's guilty. Right. Got it. Um, He did state that his client wasn't actually a monster. He didn't kill his daughter, but took care of the family in the cellar. Which, again, how disgusting of a thing to say. Like, he took care of the family that he forced down there, the daughter that he raped. Like, he created the incestuous children that have never seen a life. There is no better definition of monster than than what this man did. Like, I respect the fact that this defense attorney has to do a job, but don't do that. Like, that's bullshit. Yeah. So the first day carried into day two and then day three. And um, on this day, um, Elizabeth had taped like everything that she wanted to say about the situation. So she didn't have to um, say anything to his face like she didn't have to see him. So on day two, they played all of these tapes. And on day three, Judge Humor spoke um, about the day's itinerary before asking Joseph directly if he had anything to say. Joseph at that time replied, quote, I recognize that I'm guilty. I regret it, end quote, before the culmination of the trial. Dr. Kastner also put together, um, so he is a psychiatrist, put together a 130-page paper on an assessment of Joseph in which he reports, quote, a severe combined personality disorder, end quote, and that he had, another quote, um, a thin grasp on the gravity of his crime, end quote. The jury took a whole four hours to deliberate in which they stopped to have lunch before on March 19th, Joseph was convicted of rape, incest, coercion, false imprisonment, enslavement, and negligent homicide. That's about three hours and 55 minutes longer than it should have taken them. So I think they actually, like, you can't just leave and come right back. 
I think that there's some rules they on like make you spend half a day. Well, they want you to think about the case, right? right? So I think, and I don't know again because it's Austria, not the U.S., but I think that they're it's seems right. similar. And they also had lunch, which means they probably stopped, ordered the lunch, had the lunch delivered, yeah. had the lunch, and then were like, "Okay, can we make him guilty now?" Yeah, I'm hopeful that they like just all went back there, didn't even really have to look at it, like say anything. They just looked at each other, and then they're like, "So let's just." Hang out here until we can get some free food. <laughs> yeah. And then like, we'll let's have some try. lunch and then we're all in agreement. Yeah. Yeah. So since their release, Elizabeth was re reunited with all six of her children and they were taken to an undisclosed city to live. I think they actually talk about it later, but I'm not going to bring that name up. Elizabeth changed her name and the family underwent psychiatric care to help cope with the ordeal. Elizabeth even had, you know, kind of bodyguards to help for a long time. Elizabeth's eldest son had back problems as the ceiling was approximately five, six, and he was taller than that, which oh, caused him to stoop at all times. The three that remained underground also had extra health-related issues from not being in sunlight ever. Yeah. I'm, mm -hmm. Not just like oh, the psychological pull. You would have to be in yeah. therapy the rest of your life. You know, the one thing I wanted to know that I didn't really see is how they got the two sons out. Was she like, was Elizabeth there or did she have to wait and allow people to go get them? Oh, because like, how scary would it have been for the boys if she wasn't there when that door opened and all these new faces, they have never seen anybody in their whole life. And they have this group of people that are just like, kick them out. Or if Elizabeth was allowed to go back, how hard would that have been for Elizabeth to go near that cellar door again? Oh, so hard. Like, these are the things that I was like, I want to know. How did this happen? How, yeah. like, was it handled? How did they treat that? Because that is so sensitive and so scary. And they're just like, how do you bring, how do you bring these boys out of the cellar? Those, without traumatizing them even don't. more that they've already been traumatized you don't it, it's i don't even think like i think everything in there like that next 24 hours is going to be a traumatic event mm -hmm. like regardless of how you go about it elizabeth can pull them out but the second they walk out of that room it's like what? life has changed what is yeah. that what's a washing machine what's a like what's a tree what's a tree with grass what's like sunlight fresh air mm -hmm. like oh it would everything would be traumatic and mm -hmm. you would like go through every spiral of like this is like yeah. once you even and this would be later mm -hmm. it wouldn't even be the first day but once you like get to the point where you're like this is amazing mm -hmm. you'd then get so mad like yeah that you missed out fucking amazing i haven't been able to do this yeah like oh it would be a just a lifetime of that, I think. Or even the reintegration process of the, what they called upstairs and the downstairs children. So the ones that had been living upstairs spent most of their life with Rosemarie calling her mother, assuming that their right. mother oh, right. was gone. Yeah. Downstairs children might remember these other kids, but they were taken at pretty young ages. Like the young or the oldest couple of them probably remember these kids before they were taken. Yeah. And then they disappeared, and then they show up years later. Like, how do There's you... resentment from both sides. Yeah. 
Like you would have like you got to be with your mother. Yeah. Then you were locked up and the other kids are like, you got freedom. Right. And and but the other kids were thinking that their mom abandoned them. Yeah. Like and then oh yeah, you would just be so what a tough life. Yeah. And then you can't have when you eventually grow up and you want to have a family of your own, Mm -hmm. like just the, if you want to have a family of your own, that is, I should say like the mental anguish that could be caused as you like have children yeah, and you watch them and you see what their life is as a child and like how like the, it should have been fascination with everything. And like, and you had a concrete box. Yeah. Like, Some reports do say that Elizabeth did manage to find um, love. I don't know if it was sustaining, but she did have a boyfriend for a while after one of the bodyguards, actually, that she had, um, that she was able to go out and watch movies and do some other kind of normal activities. Um, And also that her and Rosemary have had some level of reconciliation. Which could maybe help the family kind of the kids kind of come together, because if the upstairs kids see kind of Rosemary and Elizabeth, that might help because they grew up with Rosemary, um, and that Elizabeth basically forgave Rosemary for not knowing and not doing anything. Right. Um, which I don't know if I could honestly. I mean, I know that it wasn't Rosemary's fault, but. That takes a lot. That takes a big person. It does take a big person because there's a large part of me that like can I can see Rosemary equally as a victim here. Mm -hmm. Like she, she was a victim. She was, Um, but reconciling the fact that you're you're taking care of kids, and she's like, I was underneath you, right, for years and years and years. My children grew up underneath you. Yeah, I would. I would struggle with the thought of, like, how stupid are you? Yeah. Like, that, I think that's what I would struggle. Yeah, is like, especially the face scratching and yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, like, for years she fought. She left physical marks on Joseph. She left evidence. Yeah. And I always, whenever I read that part, I was like, I wonder if she's doing this to try and get Rosemary's attention. Not necessarily, like, I'm just scratching your face okay. to fight. I mean, of course, that's part of it. But I wonder if any part of her was, like, I want Rosemary to see this. I want Rosemary to find out. Yeah. Like, my mom needs to know something's happening. Yeah, I think I, like, I would have, like, bit him, like, a, in the yeah. face, like a bite mark. How do you yeah. deny that? Like, how do you explain that away to your wife? Like, yeah. It's I, all hard. Oh, I mean, this whole case is hard. Oh, it's awful. All right, so Joseph is currently held in Stein, a high-security psychiatric prison in Krems on the River Danube in... Northeast Austria under, quote, enforcement measures, end quote, due to his mental illness. His lawyer, Wagner, states that he is now showing, quote, genuine remorse. He talks up uh, a lot about family. It is important to him that the family is doing well, end quote, okay. which I don't think he should know anything about his no. family. No. I don't care what you think, dude. I don't care. That man should be shocked every time the word family comes out of his mouth. Yeah. Like, he should be tortured. Yeah. And I don't care who has problems with that. Like, he is a monster. Mm-hmm. He is a monster. 
Wagner hopes that due to Joseph's current age, which is um, 88, at least the time that I wrote this, his diagnosis of dementia, and a recent report stating that he is no longer a danger will be enough to get him released to a nursing home. Oh, hell no. This followed Vice President of Regional Court of Krems, Ferdinand Schuster, telling CNN that, quote, the report shows that danger no longer exists in the prisoner, end quote. A three-judge panel still has yet to decide Joseph's fate, whether he will stay put or will be eligible for transfer. Under Austrian law, anyone sentenced to life is eligible for conditional release. Since Joseph was arrested in 2008, he became eligible in 2023. Oh, shit. All right, well, I'll be writing a letter to the Austrian government. Oh, my God. How dare you? That's, like, who is his lawyer? Who is Wagner? Like, this motherfucker should quit. Yeah. Why, how could you? argue for this man yeah so it sounds like joseph would be a nightmare yeah i don't think a lot of people understand dementia but i feel like on our side we see it and it is it can be frightening um even the nicest person can they lack of better terminology they can turn into little gremlins people with dark pasts tend to seem to just get darker yeah. When their mind goes. Because even, I mean, even lovely people are not right. at times. And you're, and it's not like there's a cognitive disconnect in their mind. He already has a disconnect in his mind. How dangerous is it going to be as this progresses? Yeah. I, without any science behind this, like hypothesis at all. So I haven't studied oh, no. this in oh, this no. latest, but like to me, it, I have seen it on many occasions that like patients with dementia have memories that are strong mm-hmm. and vivid in their brain and a lot of times they're not good yeah and well they say that you retain your oldest memories the longest so he would first based on science lose the fact that he's been in prison and then slowly start to work his way backwards so then slowly through the years that he had had, you know, Elizabeth in the cellar and the family, and then he's going to end with his mother beating him. He's going to remember violence the longest, essentially. Yeah. And, um, you know, they also, it depends on how the brain pathways start to break down. I've seen where people start to believe anything they see on news or they think like anytime the worst information comes up, it stays in their mind the yeah. longest. And they become more violent or apprehensive. And I just, yeah, just stay where you are. He, the safety of everybody, stay where you right are. right where he needs to be. Yes. I would not want my Nana or Papa in the same nursing home as that man. Mm-mm. I can tell you that right now. That's a demon. And maybe, maybe ultimately that would be sort of what happened. I don't know if like Austria nursing homes have rights to deny patients, but like maybe fingers crossed yeah maybe they'd be like no we we don't want him yeah and so there'd be no place for him to live so he has to stay yeah i don't know i would not want to be the like case manager and yeah all yeah and i haven't seen any updates since i wrote this i did write this a while ago i mean we had originally recorded it and it messed up and so we had to do it again my bad my bad um but if i do see any updates i'll definitely bring it out um same with 
couple of the other cases we've talked about, there's been some updates that are going to need to come up soon. With that being said about how we have already heard this, it was still like hearing it for the first time today. I know it's because I said it differently. Well, you said it differently, but like even knowing some of the information behind it, it's still shocking. Shocking. Like I can't, I couldn't even like, I can't watch you tell me about it. I have to like look out this window in front of me because I have to sort of like absorb all the information from this story. Like Mm -hmm. this story blows my mind. Mm -hmm. Human depravity always blows my mind and the fact that there's so much of it and that we really don't, like we go about our lives not hearing about it. A lot of it. Yeah, and I think the part that really fascinates me with this is like the idea of a human being born into just a cement block. Like what that means for their concept of reality and like as a human, just like as as science and as we understand the universe and like there's certain things that I feel like you just intrinsically understand as a human mm-hmm. um but is that really the case and it'd be so it would have been so fascinating to like meet these kids right when they're like leaving this mm-hmm. hole that they've lived in to just I don't know watch them grasp reality yeah as we know it but then again like it's just like yeah it's just layered oh it's so layered there's too much of it there's too much it's, it's too much to go through. It's, it's, did, is her or her journals, can you buy them? Not that I've seen. Um, she is sitting on a, like, money hill. On a, yeah. Yeah. I do know that um, Joseph actually wrote a book with his defense attorney, Wagner, and I, uh, it was like a couple dollars, so I got it, and then I couldn't even read it because I was, I'm like, this is gross. Um, because Wagner, because I was like, well, maybe they put details of the case or anything in there. And some of the first opening lines were like, can't legally talk about the case. So this is just going to be Joseph. And it's basically his plea attempt to get his family back. And I was like, how dare you? How dare you put this information out with him? But it's all about his visits to see Joseph and what they talk about. And it's just dumb, 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 dumb. Oh, see, uh, actually hearing it from that, like Wagner's trying to make a buck. Yeah. That's really what it. It, it feels that's like that's gotta be it like yeah i think actually joseph um reached out to him and said that he wanted to talk to him and again it, it sounds like he's a plea to try and get family his family back or his family to see his point or i don't know this like i said i couldn't stomach reading it so i can't tell you the full details of this book because i got through like three sentences and was like well now i feel like i need to take a shower because that's gross yeah Well, with that, that is the end of Joseph Fritzl. And to all those listening, be careful out there. It's a dangerous world we live in.